Hey, BSN fans, your favorite Colorado Sports Network has partnered with your favorite Colorado beer, and we're giving them away for free. But in true BSN fashion, we're not letting you go to some major chain for it. We want you to go to your local neighborhood bar and support a real Colorado business. That's why we've created the bar page, where any BSN subscriber can go in and get a free beer whenever they want. Just go to bsnbars.com, and you can get one free Coors Banquet at any bar on that list. All you have to do is show the bartender the VIP image on that page in your browser, and you can retrieve a free Coors Banquet beer at any of those bars. There are over 20 bars there. You're sure to find one close to you. It's bsnbars.com. Find a bar and get a free Coors Banquet on the house. Thanks for listening to the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumlee. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in LA. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> A special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? We was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into a brand new edition of the BSN Nuggets podcast. Harrison Wind and Christian Clark here, recording Wednesday afternoon. We are presented by InWeGo today, the subscription that can get you into almost any event in Denver with promo code BSN50. And today we're here at Sports Column, downtown Denver, a few blocks from Coors Field. If you guys are in the area, make sure you check them out. They're gracious enough to host our podcast here from time to time. That's where we're recording today. After another Nuggets win, 126-118 over the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, This team, Christian, this is an incredible run. And a quick caveat before we get started here. You know, I don't know what's going to happen throughout the rest of the season. I don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs. But this is a special run that the Nuggets are going on here without three of their five starters. I feel like this is a special group, so... If you find yourself looking ahead to the playoffs, take a second, take a deep breath, take a step back, because this seems like a special group right now. There's no question about it. There's such a fun vibe on this team. Everybody seems to root for each other. Everybody pulls for each other. I mean, Gary Harrison, Will Bartner in street clothes right now. When Jamal Murray blocked West Matthews' shot last night, took it coast-to-coast for that layup, Mavericks called timeout. Barton and Harris, I was worried about them getting re-injured. They were right. celebrating so hard. They're almost at half court. They're celebrating so much. I always worry about guys that are injured celebrating too hard. I don't know. I guess I don't think anybody's ever gotten injured that's on the bench in street clothes from celebrating too hard during a game. Well, I, I not that we know of because they'd never admit it. <laughs> right. Right. That's not something a team would come out and say. I hope that never happens, but... That was a really cool moment. That was one of the examples, but it's almost like not even about what happens on the court. It's about what happens in the locker room. It's about how Will Barton posts an Instagram this morning of him talking to Thomas Welsh and like encouraging this Nuggets rookie who's on a two-way contract. It's about the bond that they have. 
the chemistry on this team, how everybody's so together. It's pretty cool to be around the team that wants to see Juan Hernan Gomez succeed just as much as they want to see you know, Jamal Murray or Nikola Jokic succeed. It's a cool vibe. I don't know. Yeah, we've heard it all the time this season. Mason Plumley said it again last night. There are no egos on this team. There are no egos. Yeah. And that's really – I don't even know if that's a key to like a championship team because championship teams have guys who have egos, right? And there might be some egos on this team here and there, but they all get pushed to the side for the greater success of this team. And maybe on a lot of typical really good teams and elite teams in the NBA, and right now the Nuggets are an elite team uh, in this league, maybe on most of those teams there's egos, but for the Nuggets to succeed, I definitely think those egos got to be brushed to the side and and that's what we're seeing. Yeah, I would say Jamal Murray has a little bit of an ego, but he definitely puts it aside and does what's best for the team out there. I mean, it's not like he's hijacking the offense or anything like that. How about Jamal Murray last night, man? Unbelievable. I One mean, of the best all-around games he's played as a pro. It was an unbelievable game. The way he got those, what do you have, 12 assists in the first half? 11? I think 13, maybe. 13, maybe. Smashing his... Uh, career high in assists in one half it was almost reminiscent to me of Nicole Jokic's record triple double just every pass he would make boom the guy's making the shot on the other end of that pass uh, it was elite offensive basketball it was a throwback to the Nuggets of 2017-18 just in terms of how they were executing on the offensive end with little defense but what was probably most impressive about Jamal Murray's night was how he played in the fourth quarter to me. And just like time and time again, it really doesn't matter what he does in the first half. He's going to want the ball late in games in fourth quarters. He's going to show up down the stretch. And I think that's his most important quality right now. He's never been scared of the moment. And I've said this so many times on this podcast. I would so much rather have a guy who wants the ball in his hands late in fourth quarters and isn't afraid to make a mistake. It's one of his best qualities. Like He's not afraid to make a mistake. It's so cool to watch. And uh, I don't think he had a great start to the season. And I was critical of him. But over the past week or so, I think he's playing at a really high level. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I would much rather have a guy who's going to go down guns blazing rather than cowering in fear and holding on to the ball and, and giving it up and not taking shots when they're open. I would much rather have guys like that, like Jamal Murray, like Will Barton. Uh, Jamal had 10 of his 22 points in the fourth quarter against Dallas. He had 15 fourth-quarter points against Toronto. Yeah. Two games in a row where he's just been nails in, in the fourth quarter. I thought with his passing, a career-high 15 assists, he wasn't doing anything really fancy. Right. Like we saw him lose that ball against Toronto trying to do that behind-the-back pass. No, he needs to cut the behind-the-back pass out of his game. We didn't see that at all against Dallas. He just made simple, clean reads. He was just fundamentally sound all game. Some nice passes out of the pick and roll. I mean, it, it, the ball just got where it needed to go. And, you know, Murray doesn't have to do Jokic passes to, uh, to be a really effective passer, I don't think. It's funny. Maybe that's a key for him, just making the simple play. And I feel like he's tried to do that, but he hasn't been successful in doing that this season. It's funny. We're not talking about the simple passes that he's trying to make into Jokic that turn into turnovers and buckets on the other end as often, right? 
We're not talking about how he hasn't been able to make that pass from five feet outside the three-point line, that one-handed bounce pass to Jokic at the elbow that Monte Morris can make in his sleep, right? That Jamal Murray couldn't make earlier in the season. We haven't had to talk about that over the last couple of games, it seems like. No, we haven't. I mean, he, he's been making those reads. I think uh, two Mavs are going to need a little bit of therapy after that game last night. Wes Matthews and Dwight Powell. Yeah. Um, My guy Jokic Dwight cooked, Powell, not a great showing for him. <laughs> Nicole Jokic cooked Dwight Powell like a rotisserie chicken in that game last night. And then Murray just completely punked Wes Matthews in the fourth quarter. Nuggets were up seven with five and a half to go. They threw the ball into Wes Matthews. He tries to back down Murray. You know, he goes to, like, this hook shot over his left shoulder. Murray just packs it, takes the other way, Euro steps, layup, boom. I mean, that was a ridiculous play. That was a monumental moment in the game. A, because Wes Matthews, he's a pretty good post defender for being a guard. And I think he uh, stonewalled some Nuggets player in the post. Maybe it was Trey Lyles earlier in the game. Well, he picked up a foul for Trey Lyles there. Yeah. And uh, and so he tries to back down Murray in the post. And also, Wes Matthews and Murray have the same three-point celebration, the arrow. Yeah. So it was the two – I don't know if Wes Matthews has named his celebration the blue arrow or if he has a color assigned to it. I don't think he's gone that far. Who is the person that invented the arrow three-point celebration? I need a, an oral history. I need an investigation. I would guess it's Wes Matthews. Oh. Do you think he's been doing it longer than Jamal Murray? Oh, well, he's for sure been doing it longer than You think Murray. somebody did it before Wes Matthews? I think there's a possibility. Wes Matthews is the first person I can remember doing the three-point arrow thing, but I think there might be somebody else that did it before him. I love the arrow. <laughs> it's a Same. good celebration. Um, but anyways, it was arrow on arrow. And yeah, Murray absolutely punked him with that block shot. That's like a play you can't really recover from if you're Wes Matthews. Like, I feel like you got to sub yourself out after that play. Yeah, I mean, he screamed at the ref, like, half-heartedly tried to get yeah. back. I mean, it was just over. Yeah, he should have just gone back to the locker room. you got to ask for a foul call after that play, or at least act like you're hurt or something. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. You know, rub your shoulder a little bit. And then, yeah, Murray goes coast-to-coast, coast, uh, hits the layup, and then whips out the Westbrook on the other end, which I thought was a nice move. Is Murray's thing just stealing other people's moves and making them his own? Nah. If you ask Murray, I bet he thinks he came up with the Blue Arrow. The Blue Arrow is like, it's original enough. And it's got a cool name and it, it goes with this whole game. The Rock the Baby was kind of random. I don't know. Jamal Murray just loves celebrating. He That's loves not celebrating. even like, uh, I guess Westbrook has that. And then he has his three-point celebration. He, he's got a lot of different things going. Uh, he doesn't get to go to the three-point celebration very often, right? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, anyways, big night for Jamal Murray. I agree, though, with what you said. He's not really making the difficult play or trying to make the difficult play. He's taking what the defense gives him. And look, man, there have been a lot of people this year who have put down some bold claims about Jamal Murray, how they don't think he could be the point guard for this team long-term. And what I've been preaching the whole time is, man, this kid is so young. This kid is so young with so much potential and such a high ceiling. And he's a worker, too. This guy, this is a guy who's going to be in the gym 
longer than anybody else. And he's going to work to get better at his craft. And he's not a natural point guard by any means. But I've never wavered on the fact that he can be the quote-unquote point guard, the quote-unquote one for this team long term. I've just never wavered on that. I've heard some Nuggets media members who obviously I'm not going to name throw Murray's name into some terrible trade ideas. It's yeah. like, like they have no recollection of him averaging 17 a game and doing it really efficiently when he was 20 and 21 freaking years old. Like, yeah. did we already forget about that? It's cool because I wonder how much Gary Harrison Will Barton being out has elevated you know, Murray's play here, especially over the last couple of weeks when he's looked really good. And I wonder how it's going to look when Gary Harris and Will Barton get back here. Because Murray's the type of guy who's going to thrive in a higher usage role, right? He thrives when he knows he's getting his shots, when he knows he's getting his looks, when he knows in his head that he's going to be counted on to score 20 points a night. That's the type of environment he loves to play in. So I'm curious to see how it looks when those guys get healthy. I think Murray's going to look even better. I think Murray thrives when there is somebody to take the secondary playmaking responsibilities off of him a little bit to lighten the playmaking load. I think that's why he's looked so good next to Monte Morris because yeah. he can really focus on scoring. I think that's one reason why you know him, Barton, and Jokic are, are so good together because Jokic is your primary playmaker. Barton's kind of your secondary playmaker, and you know Murray can pass a little bit, but he's really just a scorer with those guys out there. So. I think Barton will take a little bit of pressure off of him, and it'll look even better than he has this early part of the season. This was a big stretch for Murray, though, these last couple games, because it's not like his confidence has ever wavered. But, I mean, when you're going through the shooting slump that he was in to start the year, when you're dealing with the injuries that he was in, that he was dealing with, sorry, it was big for him to have a two-week stretch like this, I think. I think it's going to be good for him going forward. What did Malone say pregame? He was asked about Jamal Murray's you know, uptick in playmaking lately, and he's like, well, you look at his numbers, he's not even really a scorer or something like that. Yeah, and um, I think he was asked at shoot-around like, why his assist numbers, or Jokic was asked at shoot-around why his uh, Murray's assist numbers might be up a little, and Jokic said something to the tune of everybody's just making shots, I'm making shots. Wancho's making shots, and there's something to that for sure. I mean, he wouldn't have had 15 assists last night if the Nuggets didn't shoot like 60% from the field in the first half and shoot 41% from three for the game. That certainly helps too uh, when guys are making shots. Yeah, it was uh, 74-69 Nuggets at the first half. Mason Plumley ended the first half with a coast-to-coast layup. Right. You know how Michael Malone summed up the first half afterwards? I want to hear it from you. A shootout at the OK Corral, baby. He said that, and I tried to make eye contact with you in the media scrum, but we were on opposite sides of it. Oh, did you see me fist pump? I no. fist pumped. <laughs> I didn't see you fist pump, but I was wondering if you would have had to take like a couple steps back and just take a moment to yourself there. Yeah, I mean, I was standing behind Nick Cosmarter, who's a huge dude, so Malone couldn't see me, my mini celebration, luckily, but yeah, I was definitely celebrating. If he didn't say it, I was almost going to try to bait him into saying it, though. (laughs) Say something like, you know, Coach, this first half, awfully reminiscent of uh, some of those shootout at the – what? it's on the tip of my tongue – halves that you had in the 2017-18 season just to see if he would take the bait. 
We need someone to Photoshop Malone in a cowboy hat with shoot at, at the OK Corral, make it look like an old Western movie film poster or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what this game Westerns definitely too. was. <laughs> that's what this game definitely was. An all offense, little defense matchup from the Mavericks and uh, Nuggets. But, hey, these games are fun. There was no defense last night, which probably drove Mike Malone crazy. But selfishly, these games are fun to watch when everybody's just hitting shots. It's funny. Remember when uh, somebody asked Jamal Murray a few weeks ago about Michael Malone's assertion that the Nuggets' identity is defense right now? And a lot of players have said that, too. Mason Plumlee has said that, that this team's identity is defense. And Jamal Murray is, was quick to shoot back at whoever asked that question and said, no, we're still an offensive team, right? We yeah. haven't lost that identity. Yeah, Jamal Murray almost laughed. Like, yeah, we're an offensive team first. And, I mean, that's still how I view them. I view them as this offensive juggernaut. They've, they've kind of underperformed my expectations so far this year. But, may, I don't know, maybe it's just because I've been around – the team the last two and a half years and that's what I've seen mostly but I still view them through an offense first lens yeah that still seems to be their identity to me as well they're an offensive first team around Nikola Jokic but this year uh, are playing at an unbelievable level defensively we didn't see that last night but uh, now they are seventh in offense and fourth in defense fourth best net rating in the league behind three eastern conference teams Milwaukee Boston, Toronto, and Dallas. They're just really freaking good this year. We probably buried the lead a little bit because the story of last night, I felt like, was Nikola Jokic and Michael Malone's assertion after the game that he should be in the MVP discussion. And we got a lot to get into on that front, but we got to take a break real quick. And we'll be right back to discuss that. Some other notes from this game last night right here on the BSN Nuggets podcast. This podcast is presented by InWeGo, the subscription that allows you to go to as many events as you can for only 39 bucks per month with no additional cost or fees. You heard that right, as many events as you can fit into your schedule for only $39 per month. Brandon Spanos here and he's going to tell us a little bit about it. Yeah guys, this year alone I've been to Avalanche games, Nuggets games, Rockies games, Rapids games, Buffs games. I've been to concerts, uh, beer tastings, food festivals. I even went to a few comedy shows, so it's literally changed my life. <laughs> if it's going on in Denver, there's a good chance that InWeGo can get you in. And here's where it gets good. We've partnered with InWeGo to give BSN listeners a great deal. Go to InWeGo.com BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50 when you subscribe to get 50% off your first month. That's right, all the events you can handle for less than $20 for your first month. Try it and fall in love with it like we did here at BSN Denver. Go to inwego.com slash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Inwego, Harrison Wind, and Christian Clark here. Wednesday edition of the show. We're recording today at Sports Calm here in downtown Denver. Make sure you check these guys out if you're in the area. Great food, beer selection, tons of TVs as well. The story from last night, which we kind of buried in the opening segment of the show, but Jamal Murray and his night, his career high in assists, definitely deserves some credit and some discussion. But Nikola Jokic balled out again. I thought this was another stunner from Nikola Jokic against Dallas, and this is, what, five straight 
huge games from him since Paul Millsap went out here. And afterwards, Michael Malone said what at least I've been thinking for the past couple of games, that Nikola Jokic should be in the MVP discussion right now for what he's done over the course of this season, but really more specifically what he's done with the Nuggets missing three of five starters. And, you know, they've been missing Will Barton, Gary Harris for a while now. They've just gone without Paul Millsap for these last couple games. But it took until February 23rd for Michael Malone to trump for Nikola Jokic to be in the MVP discussion last year after he already missed out on the All-Star game. And that was after three straight triple doubles. He said that last season. This year, it took until December 18th. What did you think of his comments last night? And then what everybody else said in the locker room, pretty much agreeing with what Mike Malone had to say, really, without even having to consider it. Yeah, I mean, I think Jokic should be in the, the MVP, MVP conversation. We also have, like, four months left of the season, so we're, we're doing this really, really early. I mean, we're, we're barely a third of the way in, but it's still fun to talk about. Um, these last five games, this is the best stretch I've ever seen Nikola Jokic play in his career, averaging 26.6 points per game, 55% shooting, 13 rebounds, and six assists. The Nuggets are 4-1 and one in that stretch with wins over the Grizzlies, Thunder, Raptors, and Nuggets. I mean, he has put the team on his back, Greg Jennings style, while three of their starters have been out. It's been unbelievable, just, just dominating every aspect of the game. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to think that there's nothing that he can't do. It's funny because this stretch he's had right now is awfully reminiscent of the 18 games he closed the season with last year. If you go back to the BSN Nuggets podcast archives, man, I should buy a lottery ticket right now. I predicted the 10-5 and start to the regular season. I kind of predicted what he's done over these last five games on a podcast last week. My take about Jokic right now, and I don't even think this is too hot, looking back at it, kind of tease this on Twitter, but I'll get it off now. I was planning on sitting on it till the end of the show, but I'll get it off right now. I think last night, and you can even go back a little bit to that Atlanta game, I think, because that was the first game the Nuggets were without three starters, and Jokic played really well, and then, like the rest of this team, kind of ran out of gas in the third and fourth quarters. I think Nicole Jokic is going to make his all-star push over the next three weeks throughout the rest of December. I think he's going to put this Nuggets team on his back, post big-time offensive numbers similar to the 27 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists that he posted last night against Memphis. I believe he's going to post numbers over this next stretch, say over this next three-week stretch. That's very reminiscent of what he did to close last season when he really put the Nuggets on his back and nearly carried them to a playoff appearance. 30-point nights, 35-point nights. And I'll say this also, he shouldn't just be an all-star if he gets the Nuggets through this stretch unscathed. Say if he gets his Nuggets through the rest of December at a 500 level, he should probably be in the MVP discussion if he's able to carry these guys, the eight guys in Nuggets rotation right now without those three starters to a 500 mark in the month of December. He should probably get some MVP buzz. So that was me on Jokic from last week. I should probably go buy a lottery ticket right now. The Oracle. Uh, <laughs> where should I buy property in Denver, and where do you think Austin Rivers is going to end up? You should buy property in Denver in Rhino. And where is Austin Rivers going to end up? The Houston Rockets. But anyways, 
the final 18 games of 2017-18, 24 points per game, shot 54% from the field, 47.5% from three. That's where his numbers look a little different. He hasn't shot the ball as well from three over this stretch, and really this year, 11.5 rebounds, 6.4 assists per game. You just rattled off his numbers over the last five games. They're better than they were over those 18 games to close last season. I asked Mike Malone if he sees similarities between how he's playing now and how he played to close last season. He said he does. I asked a lot of players in the locker room if they see similarities. Some of them said they do. Monte Morris said yes. Jamal Murray said no because he sees him up close and personal every day. Probably all all looks the same all the time. <laughs> right. Mason Plumley had an interesting point, which agrees with what you just said, that he's actually playing better. And I'd agree because... He's playing defense now. This might not have been the case last night, but take last night out of the discussion and just look at the four games before that. And even what he's done over you know, a couple games before this recent run with Paul Millsap out, he's playing defense now, and that wasn't the case to close last season. He played unbelievable basketball at the end of last year, but the level of defense he's played for most of this season – it's not even comparable to what was last year. And that's probably the biggest difference if you're looking for one between the run he went on, went on to end last year and what he's done here as of late. Yeah, I did not see him making strides like this in the defensive end. He, is, he has come a long, long way. He plays hard on that end pretty much every night now. There was a pretty funny moment with Monte Morris in the locker room after the game. I, I just kind of asked him, have you ever played with the big man with Jokic's combination of size and skill? And he told this story about standing at the free throw line with J.J. Barea at, at a break in action, um, two backup point guards for Nuggets in Dallas. Uh, Morris said, he was like, man, he's a monster. Did he gain weight or something? I said, no, he actually lost weight. Yeah, he's a problem. It's funny seeing a guy like Brea have those remarks who has shared a locker room with Dirk Nowitzki for the last or for 10 of his I think 12 or 13 year career to just be in awe of a guy like Jokic and how he can cook opponents with a dad bod as I wrote last night <laughs> Jokic isn't the most physically intimidating guy but man he had one of these moments last night where he just had that look in his eye and it's a look sometimes he'll get in the first quarter, like he got against DeAndre Ayton. This one it took him maybe into the second quarter to get, but he gets this look in his eye where he just knows he can score the ball every time against whoever's guarding him. And last night, look, Dallas didn't have the most impressive front line. DeAndre Jordan, who didn't look like he was very concerned with playing defense last <laughs> night. Dwight Powell, who... I felt bad for him. I mean, the guy's like 6'9", super athletic, maybe 230 pounds. Did not stand a chance against Jokic. He's like Wancho's buddy. <laughs> right. And then our old pal Dirk Nowitzki, who I turned to Adamares last night, sitting next to him watching the game, and it was a little sad to watch Dirk run up and down the floor last night. He's clearly on the last legs of his career, and it was a, a bit unfortunate to see him have to go up against Jokic, but... Jokic cooked everybody in front of him last night. And you can tell when he knows he can score because it's what he does with the ball in his hands, but it's also what he does when the ball isn't in his hands, just directing guys, pointing at guys, yelling at Wancho, go there, yelling at Mason Plumley, Mason, go to the corner, clear out. I got this whole side. Clear this whole side for me. I'm going to score. 
he had that look in his eye last night. He's had it a lot over this recent stretch, I think. Yeah, I don't know if Jokic lost weight, gained weight. He kind of looks the same, to be perfectly honest to you, to me. He did have that look in his eye, man. And you know what? He might be a little bit pudgy. He might have the dad bod. But he kills dudes inside. He is strong, and he is tough, and, and he just knows how to use his body to clear the space he needs to get his shot off. I mean, he was crushing people in the post last night, like just looking for contact. I mean, he was mean. It was it was really fun to watch. The Mavs didn't have their best Jokic defender. That was uh, Maxi Kleber. Right. He was out with a toe injury. I think he was their best bet. He's, correct me if I'm wrong, but him and Jokic have kind of gotten into it before. I can't really remember. There's been some drawing back and forth, maybe a little elbow here and there between those two going back to last year. But, yeah, he was definitely the Mavericks' best hope to stopping him. How frustrating must it be for a guy like DeAndre Jordan who can jump out of the gym and is just this athletic freak for this guy, Nikola Jokic, the SpongeBob square pants underwear wearing Nikola Jokic <laughs> to absolutely cook you on the block. You just can't do anything about it. Too much skill. Too much skill. So I actually don't think it's too early to talk about, you know, should Jokic be in the MVP discussion? Because look, people write about this. I mean, Matt Moore's written like five things <laughs> on who the leaders are for MVP right now. And I'm not dissing that or anything because I think it's a storyline that you should track throughout the whole season. And what guys do at the beginning of the season, what guys do during stretches like this where a guy like Jokic is absolutely carrying his team on the offensive end of the floor without three of five starters, without three of five guys, and Millsap, Harris, and Will Barton who can score 20, 25 points on any given night. What he's doing in times like this I don't think should be discounted when you look back at the season when you're discussing the MVP you know, in April. So I don't think it's too early, but we said this on Monday show when we were going through our top five guys for MVP right now. He should be in the discussion. He hasn't had the most unbelievable numbers this season. Like, he had a scoreless game, right? Or not a scoreless game, but he had a game where he took one field goal. You know, he's had those nights, and like he's come a long way from where he was at that point in the season. But his numbers don't stack up against other MVP candidates right now. But, hey, here are the facts. He's absolutely carrying the Nuggets through a stretch where they're without three of their five starters and probably three of their better players. And the Nuggets are number one in the West right now. Right? Where would the Nuggets be without Nikola Jokic? That's an argument you have to look at when you're judging MVPs. Where would the Bucks be without Giannis? Where would the Raptors be without Kawhi? Where would the Lakers be without LeBron James? I'm not sure the Nuggets would have won, what, 15, 20 games, 25 games without Nikola Jokic this year. This year. So, I mean, what he's done has been incredible. Yeah, I mean, do you think they'd still be in the playoff picture without him? Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. I have a hard time seeing them winning a game over these last five games without him, honestly. I mean, yeah. They'd be without four or five starters then. So, yeah, I think they probably would have gone like one and four instead of four and one without right. him. Jokic, ha I mean, you're right. Jokic hasn't brought it from a scoring standpoint this whole year, you know, like he has this last five. Giannis, LeBron, they're going to get their numbers and they're going to do it efficiently every single night. 
I, I will say, though, I don't think a lot of people realize the degree of difficulty of playmaking like Jokic does night in and night out. Like, there are just no other players in the NBA who can function as the fulcrum like he does from a playmaking perspective. I mean, Jokic and LeBron are, like, such different playmakers, but I, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I don't think people realize how hard it is to make the passes that Jokic makes. So I still think he belongs in, you know, top five. I think I had him third in my fake MVP ballot the other day. Like, I would probably have him even as high as that just because he brought it on defense this year, and he's been unbelievable as a playmaker this year. Yeah. When you're looking at the all-star team this year, and I believe voting gets underway, what, a couple weeks here, he's a lock right now, right? Oh, yeah. He is a stone-cold lock to make the all-star team right now. The only way I could see him not making the all-star team, if somehow Denver loses five or six straight games leading up to the voting, maybe people will forget about him a little bit. But he is a lock right now. He could be a candidate to start. He's been arguably the best center in the Western Conference, and I know there's not a designation for center on the All-Star ballot. That's probably what will end up killing him in the end when you've got guys like Kevin Durant and LeBron, who will definitely be starters. Then that third spot might be a little up for grabs. But he should make his first All-Star appearance this year. That's going to be a cool moment, I think, for Jokic for his family, for the Nuggets, and for the city of Denver. Christmas is kind of the time when a lot of casual NBA fans who might not be totally in tune with the season yet start following the NBA at that time. And, hey, they'll probably look up at the standings maybe for the first time all year and see the Nuggets at the top of the West. And maybe they'll look at the All-Star game and the All-Star voting and see Nikola Jokic getting a ton of consideration. That should be a cool moment for the city, I think. And then they'll do a Google search and realize that Nikola Jokic and Yusuf Nurkic are two completely different people. They're not the same person. They're from different countries, too. Man, some television networks still have a hard time with that. I don't know yeah. why. Uh, pretty big one. Yeah, they're not even, like, similar players. They're both from Eastern Europe. They're both white. It's about where the similarities stop. How funny is it going to be watching Nikola Jokic? Because they're televising the All-Star Draft this year, right? Let's go. How funny is it going to be to see him like sitting, I don't even know how they're going to do it, in a chair on a bench, standing next to all those other guys and watching either, I'm guessing, Giannis and LeBron are going to be the two highest vote-getters, pick their teams. Where do you think he's going to get picked? Well, LeBron's taking KD first, probably. Right, because right, um, there's layers to this. There's levels to this. Yeah, I, I could see Giannis taking Jokic pretty high. I mean, Jokic has had some monster games against the Bucks over the years. A, a couple of his triple-doubles have come against them, including the fastest triple-double in NBA history. That's a good point. That's a good point. For me, Jokic is the type of guy I want to play with, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to play with Joel Embiid. I love Joel Embiid. He's a little bit of a black hole, for being honest. Yeah, I'm not trying to throw the ball into the post and stand on the perimeter for seven seconds and watch him do two up and unders. And do you remember when Jokic was in the Rising Stars game? He's kind of like the classic pickup playground player who kind of thrives in those environments. I feel like we don't see 
the full array of his trick passes and highlight real assists during the course of a normal NBA game. He's got stuff in his bag that we still don't see because he probably knows there's a good chance of him turning the ball over, and there's a good chance of Mike Malone really getting on him if he really whips out all his tricks. So in those type of environments, if he's just playing a pickup game, he probably gets a bit more imaginative, a bit more risky than we probably see him get in a normal NBA game. We saw that a little bit in the Rising Stars game. I can only imagine what we'd see in an all-star type setting. Is there anything more wild than like the spinning pass he threw to Murray in Toronto? Right. I feel like there is. Um, what about him like throwing the ball off the backboard from the three-point line like to somebody on the other side of the court? Did you read that uh, Ethan Sherwood Strauss story about just like innovations that could happen in the future? Yeah. That was that was one of them. Passes off the backboard. I don't know about passes off the backboard to teammates it, becoming a thing because it's so difficult. But it's I do so think difficult. I do think we're going to see more passes off the backboard to yourself because those are relatively easy to pull off. Yeah, and I feel like they're there a lot. They are there a lot. They are there a ton. Not a lot of guys see it. Like LeBron's done it a couple times in the finals. Right, unreal. Right in the finals. But I feel like we've Jokic has some stuff in his bag that we haven't seen. Maybe some passes. Bouncing it off the floor, maybe, for an alley-oop or something, or even just like a regular pass. I don't know. A tip pass, like 90 feet? Right. I feel like there's some stuff he's got in his bag of tricks that he's a bit hesitant to pull out in a normal NBA game when it really matters. But, oh, man, if he's in a game that doesn't count for anything, God, that could be something special. We'll we'll, we'll see where he get picks. I, f- I feel like... It's going to tell us a lot about these NBA players. It could tell us a lot about Giannis, who he picks in like an all-star draft, if he goes Joel Embiid or if he goes somebody like Jokic. Does Giannis want to sign in Denver in two years, my column? (laughs) If he picks Jokic first, oh boy. (laughs) Oh boy. We've got a lot more to get to on this game. Got some more notes I want to go over. Before we get to that, though, got to tell you guys about an awesome deal right now for BSN listeners with... Our favorite liquor store, Total Beverage. You probably already know that Total Beverage. They got the most liquor in Colorado at the best prices in Colorado. Now they're actually delivering to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. I've had Total Beverage delivered to my place a couple times. It's been flawless. Super easy. You can download their app. You can go to their website and do it. For a limited time, they're actually offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. You got to use the promo code BSN10 to get that offer. So again, promo code BSN10 on the Total Beverage app to get $10 off your $50 order for all your holiday parties. And again, have it delivered right to your door with Total Beverage. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go, Harrison Wayne and Christian Clark here. This Nuggets bench, man, boy, they continue to impress. That was another funny part about Nikola Jokic and the MVP narrative that surrounded him last night. He turns and faces the media. He's holding up a box score in his hands. That little 8 by 11 sheet of paper that, man, the NBA is not very uh, recycle friendly. (laughs) They waste a lot of paper (laughs) in this league. Yeah, we still get those box scores after every quarter during the game. And I appreciate the hard work. Like, I'm not meaning to, to criticize the Nuggets PR staff at all. They do a great job, but... 
We've got it on our computer. Right. It, it updates in real time. I do appreciate the box score, though. Uh, a little secret of mine, I've kept a couple of those memorable box scores for myself over the last oh, couple really? of years. I've, I've kept uh, credentials from the memorable games. But I've got a couple box scores in my files. Maybe uh, a Jokic record triple-double in uh, in the Harrison Wynn files. All right, that's pretty cool, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but... um. Jokic was looking at that box score, and I asked him, or I didn't really ask him, but I just kind of remarked to him, you had a pretty good night, and he just totally brushed it off, of course. And then somebody else asked him, might have been Pat Graham from AP, like, what are you looking at? What jumps out to you? And he said the bench. He said how everybody on the Mavs bench had a minus next to their name, and everybody on the Nuggets bench had a plus next to their name. And that was the reason... He thought the Nuggets won this game. It wasn't because of his individual performance, which I'd like to debate Jokic on because the work the bench did would have been wasted if it wasn't for what Jokic did last night. But to his point, this bench again was really good. Trey Lyles got going for the first time, this not this season, but in a while. Malik Beasley had a solid game. But we would be bearing the lead again if we didn't start off with Monte Morris who goes 7 of 10 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3, 5 assists 2 steals, 1 turnover, a plus 11 in 25 minutes, again captaining this bench unit with Jamal Murray. I'm running out of adjectives to describe what Monte Morris has done this season. Help me out. Oh, my God. Uh, well, here's, a, here's an excerpt from my Golden Nuggets um, article last night. Maybe this helps a little bit. Uh, here's a list of the most solid materials on Earth, which has been confirmed independently by nine different scientists. Diamond Steel and Monte Morris. Monte hit three shots down the stretch that helped the Nuggets put the game away. Three from the left wing with 5.43 to go. Floater with 2.46 remaining. And a mid-range jumper with 1.51 on the clock. Monte scored seven points in the final five minutes and 43 seconds of this game. Every time he shoots a three, I think it's going in now. Every single time. Which is crazy. Because that was one of his weaknesses coming out of school. And even coming into this season was his three-point shot. But now, he, over these last couple months, he's been an absolute knockdown three-point shooter. He's been one of the best three-point shooters on this Nuggets team. Pulling up his splits right now. Bear with me. I want to see what he's shooting so far in the month of December. 50% from three. Monte Morris is shooting 50% from three in the month of December, over eight games while averaging 27 minutes a game and shooting nearly four triples per game. Shooting 50% from three. He's taking shots now. The contested threes, the pull-ups from mid-range that he wouldn't have even thought about taking at the beginning of the season. That's a little bit of an insight into just how far he's come this year. Here's something. I don't know if you think this, but it seems like the ball tends to find Monte Morris at the end of shot clocks. And I don't know if it's just luck and happenstance or it's his teammates knowing that he can always get off a good look at the end of shot clocks. But the ball always finds him in late clock situations, and he's going to get off a good look more often than not, it seems. Yeah, I mean, if, if I did pick one player and, you know, like, the clock is winding down at the end of the quarter. You're, you're late in a close game. I'd just be like, all right, let's just like run pick and roll with Monte because I know we're going to get a good look somehow. I don't know if that's Monte pulling up. I don't know if it's him finding Jokic on the roll. I don't know if it's him just hitting a shooter along the perimeter. But 
he's always just going to make the right decision. We've talked about these numbers quite a bit on this podcast. Monte's up to 123 assists and 20 turnovers on the season. That doesn't seem like it should be possible. It shouldn't. It should not be possible for the amount of minutes he's played. This isn't even a guy who's playing a typical backup point guard role. That's usually, what, 15 to 20 minutes. He's being counted on right now to play 25 to 30 minutes a night and be on the floor to close games late in fourth quarters. He's been unbelievable for this team. I mean, Saying he's playing like a 10, 15-year veteran, it really doesn't do him justice. He's playing perfect basketball right now, kind of. It's been unbelievable. He's... Mike Malone trusts him so much that I don't know how he's going to keep Monte Morris off the floor, not even talking about when Isaiah Thomas gets back. What about when Gary Harrison and Will Barton get back? Yeah, man. I mean, he's so solid in crunch time. I think you have a point. I, I still think there are nights where he could be out there closing even when Barton and Harris are back. I don't think it's a yeah. given that Denver's guards during crunch time are going to be Murray, Barton, Harris every single night. I mean, it's just going to depend on who's playing well. It's like, when was the last time this guy turned the ball over in a late-game situation or even, like, in a fourth-quarter situation? You're just so confident when he's got the ball in his hands. You're going to get a good look, most likely. And if you're not going to get a good look, he's probably going to be able to get off a makeable shot in, in a late-clock situation. Uh, so steady. The Nuggets, uh, I mean, we've discussed a lot how they just got crushed whenever Jokic went to the bench right. in 2016-17, 2017-18. I think Jokic was like a plus, I don't know, he was a positive in that, that Minnesota game, and they got outscored by 13 points or something in like his six minutes on the bench. I mean, it was just laughable. This year, they're in the positives when Jokic goes to the bench. They're outscoring opponents by 5.1 points per 100 possessions when he sits. That's so huge for Denver that... Malone can can sit Jokic and know, oh, we're not going to cough up the lead. That was pretty much a given the last two years. It was. But I do have to admit, that 12-0 run, the Nuggets went on, and I believe it was Jokic in the bench, possibly, who was on the floor during that time. Uh, Late late in the third, Denver was trailing 95-93 with 3.30 on the clock or 3.28 on the clock. Jokic subbed back into the game with four fouls, which was pretty risky at that point. A lot of times, Denver would leave him out if he's in foul trouble until the fourth quarter. Uh, He subs in with 328 to go in the third, leads Denver on a 12-0 run. That happened like that. It it was like clockwork. I think Dwight Powell was on him at that time. (laughs) Jokic scored three baskets during that stretch, had three rebounds, was involved in pretty much every basket over that spurt. But Denver really controlled the game and then led 105-95 going into the fourth. And I know Dallas trimmed the lead to three or four points midway through the fourth quarter, but that run proved to be the difference. And that goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning of the show. That was one of those moments where you could tell Jokic knew he could score whenever he wanted to, and he absolutely took the game over that court. I believe Jokic was on the floor with the bench for that time but just another one of those uh scenarios from a special night one of those sequences from a special night from Jokic yeah uh definitely elsewhere on the bench Trey Lyles had a good night shooting the ball he made his first three three three-pointers of the game wound up going three for four from distance 16 points 
I just had to feel great for him because he was shooting 23.5% yep. from the field going into this game. I mean, for him to make a couple shots like that, I think was pretty significant for Denver. That's really, you know, the only area on the roster where they've really been struggling or, you know, the one big hole in this team is, is Trey Lyles just hasn't been producing like he did last year. He's been the only guy on the bench unit who hasn't had a career year, right? Yeah. Like Malik Beasley. Mason Plumley's obviously playing a little smaller of a role than he's played before, but efficiency-wise, this is up there with one of his best offensive and probably best defensive seasons. Monte Morris obviously having a great year. The fact that Trey Lyles is getting going, I mean, we need to see obviously more than one game where he goes three or four from three to consider him back in a rhythm. But if he's able to get going, uh, that's going to be huge. He's been one of the weak spots, really one of the only weak spots on this Nuggets team this year uh, that's persevered for th through so much. Talk about the injuries. Wancho, I watched him warm up before this game. He did not look close to 100%. He's playing with this abdominal strain right now. Mike Malone said pregame that he's been battling it for a couple games. This wasn't just something that happened in that game against the Thunder. Uh He's been battling through this thing for a while. It didn't even happen in the game against the Raptors, I don't believe. And, you know, he goes out there, gives Denver 30 minutes. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Abdominal strain seemed to be the most common injury on this they roster do. for whatever reason. I don't know if it's just coincidence or what, but everybody seems to have an abdominal strain. How many players have had an abdominal strain over the past couple of years? Or just core issues. Jamal um, Murray. Mason Plumley. After his rookie year. Mason Plumley. Now... Core, hip, groin, it's kind of murky, but yeah. it's been a popular one. Denver's training, stamp, Denver's training staff, they might need to hire a few new people because who's ever on that staff right now is putting in a little bit of overtime over these past couple of weeks here. This game, though, another big Nuggets win over another playoff contender, man. 126-118 uh, over the Mavericks. How about Luka Doncic here? last night didn't have a super efficient night got to the line at will 10 of 12 from the line 12 assists he had a couple special passes too that were awfully Jokic-esque the one thing I couldn't stop thinking about last night how did people miss on Luka Doncic man well I was thinking about for my game story just filing and the baffling kings took Bagley over Luka and seeing what you would say <laughs> I don't know I'm so in love with Luka Doncic I might have run with it uh, me too, man. I mean, look, he's a special passer every night, but I, I think that last night was probably one of his best passing nights of the season, at least in the NBA. I mean, just ridiculous plays, like standing on, you know, kind of like the right wing and just throwing bullets all the way to the left corner. It took like 0.2 seconds to get there. They looked like heat-seeking missiles. I mean, he was just on one tonight. He's an incredible playmaker. I hope Vadi Divac went to bed before this game <laughs> happened last night. Was Jokic versus Doncic like the ultimate basketball porn for NBA Twitter? I mean, Is there another matchup that could draw more eyes from NBA Twitter than a Jokic and Doncic game? I, it was a fever dream for me, Harrison. It was a fever dream. <laughs> I'm glad they play a couple more times this year. Yeah, thank God. So we can get it in some more. Yeah, Doncic was great last night. He's huge. Like, I mean, I, I know 
can tell he's big based on what he's listed at height and weight wise. But when you see him in person, he's a massive guy. Well, he's got the Jokic build. You know, he's yeah. not a Olympic athlete or a Mason Plumley esque NBA athlete, or and has an NBA body by any means. He's just a player, man. Like Isaiah Thomas said on Twitter last night, he just knows how to hoop. He can just hoop. Yeah. I agreed, IT. <laughs> we spoke about Dirk at the middle part of the show when discussing how Jokic just cooked the Mavericks front court players. Obviously, Dirk's on his last legs, but it was really cool seeing him. He's one of my favorite players of all time. I know he's one of your favorites, too. Maybe even your favorite player of all time, is he? Heck the yeah. top? Yeah. Um, but anyways, how he and Jokic have kind of risen to the faces of their respective franchises. Obviously, Dirk did it 15 years ago in Dallas. Jokic is doing it right now. But the similarities are uncanny. And you've got a really great article right now up on bsendeavor.com looking at their similar paths, how Dirk rose to power in Dallas and how Jokic is doing that in Denver. And, I mean, the similarities are, are just so crazy. Two European guys who both came to their respective teams, kind of shy, kind of not really sure when to take control from a more established guy in that locker room. And it's cool to see how Dirk, like I said, rose and ascended to the franchise cornerstone and the power that he has been in Dallas. And it's been cool watching Jokic do the same in Denver. Yeah, I think one of the things I I learned after talking to a bunch of different people for this piece is to be a face of the franchise guy, you don't have to be like that, you know, at your core and and from the time you're like 18 years old or something like that. Like, not everybody is LeBron James and just believes they're the chosen one. I think that's a role that you can grow into, and it's not an easy thing to do. You know, I, I think what helped Dirk more than anything grow into that role as the face of the franchise and gave him confidence that he can do it was he was a maniacal worker. Yeah. I talked to Nuggets assistant GM Calvin Booth, uh, who played with Nowitzki, uh, two separate stints in Dallas. When Avery Johnson was a head coach, they had a rule in Dallas. Uh, it was basically the Dirk rule. They got fined for coming into the gym on off days. I mean, Dirk's work, work ethic is just kind of legendary. I, I talked to a writer for Sports Illustrated who wrote a, a book about Dirk, Ian Thompson. He got to go over to Germany and watch Dirk work out with his, his trainer, Holger. So I think that's what gave Dirk confidence more than anything. He kind of became the face of the franchise by default. Steve Nash left for Phoenix. Michael Finley got hit with this one-time amnesty provision, and all of a sudden, seven seasons in, Dirk had to be the guy. Um, Nikola Jokic. He was clearly not comfortable with that. Um, Michael Malone and Paul Millsap, I think both helped him, you know, privately and publicly get a little bit more comfortable with that. But Jokic is learning, and I think he's doing a really good job so far. He is doing a really good job. Yes, make sure you check that piece out on bsndenver.com. The stretch that Jokic is on right now, and I know we've said time and time again how similar it is to what he did to close last year, but... It's really cool seeing a player like Jokic who is so unselfish and is always going to make the right play and finds more satisfaction in seeing his teammates succeed and drawing praise than he does having the spotlight on himself, obviously. It's cool to see him realize that, hey, the Nuggets really need him to take over right now. 
down three of five starters. They don't have a ton of offensive firepower. If they want to win these games here, they need him to take over. And he's done that really well at an extremely high level here over the past couple weeks and like he did at the end of last season. So that's been the coolest part of seeing Jokic mature this year, in my opinion. And I said it before, and I'll say it again. If he leads Denver and keeps them on this current trajectory throughout the rest of December, and Denver is in the number one spot in the Western Conference come January 2019, I believe he should be one of the leaders for most valuable player. For him to lead Denver like he has, and if he's able to do this throughout the rest of the month without Millsap, Harris, and Barton, it would be an unbelievable accomplishment. All right, I think that's all we got for today's show. Thanks for listening, guys. Sorry we didn't get to any of your questions. We ran a little longer today, but we'll get to them maybe on Thursday's show. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for listening, as always. We'll talk to you then. Hey, BSN Denver listeners. We're really excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible. Make sure you check them out today. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS, and has helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural. It's also not psychoactive, and the coffee is rich and tasty. We could not recommend it anymore to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the promo code BSN2010 at checkout. That's promo code BSN2018 to get your StravaCraft coffee for 20% off and shipped straight to your door.